Welcome back, listeners, to Learning from Friends. It's a pleasure for you to come in and join us on this two-part episode. This is part two. We have Tiana coming in and speaking with us on the last episode was speaking on the art portion of Zest and Curiosity. And today, we're going to be speaking on the travel portion. So again, my name is Kay Curtis, your tour guide for Learning from Friends. Those that have been listening with us continuously or those that are brand new with us, I always like to start the episode off with a quote from my mom. Today's is by Mary Davis. Bring love wherever you go. Shine light wherever it is dark. Leave blessings wherever you've been. Be kind wherever you are. Thank you for sharing that quote with us, Mary Davis, and your continual art. And thank you to my mother as well for sending me these quotes and warming up my, my day, even if it's a beautiful, happy day, or maybe I'm having one of my low days. It always continued to spark that. So mother, keep sending those my way, and I'll continue to share those with other listeners as well. So for those freshly coming in to, for part two of this episode, or continuing from part one, my returning guest is Tiana. She is the founder and editor-in-chief of Zest and Curiosity. In this space, she shows us her personal experiences with the world of art and how truly no piece is the same, which makes it beautiful. As you take in her experiences, you can feel this is a pure form of vulnerability and passion within every entry. In the last episode, we spoke of the portion of art, and today we are going to go into depth on the part of travel. So that's a begin this traveling adventure on part two. Tiana, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me again, Kate. My pleasure. So that's allow us for our new listeners and as well as a reminder for those that were previously before, can you give us a little bit of description and a paint a picture of who Tiana is? Well, Tiana is endlessly curious, engineer by education, marketing executive by profession, art lover, and travel lovers. So here I am, and I will be sharing a little bit about my travels and why I started my blog, Zest and Curiosity. So you have these as two separate individual links. What makes them separate but interactive at the same time with each other? Well, that's a great question. They are very, very connected. Because, as I said in earlier episode, uh, Zest and Curiosity started because I had over 50,000 photos from the travel and different art events. And this is how I also decided, instead of sorting them in a folder, is to start the blog. And as the two words describe me, who I am, Zest for life and curiosity in general, I noticed there is some kind of common uh, pattern within my photos. They were either by uh, from the different travels or from the art events. They do cross because art is also my destination. So I travel for art. So this was, this was very interesting, the way how the blog kind of shaped itself. Now, you were not born in the United States. Where were you born and what drew you to move to the United States? So U.S., it's my home and I lived here most of my life. Interestingly, I'm Finnish. I was born in former Yugoslavia, partially Italian, lived in many places. So I would say I'm like international mutt. But it has been quite a wonderful journey to be privileged to live in so many places and learn about different cultures and different languages. I guess maybe that even it started a passion for travel. <laughs> so it is kind of a place of joy for me. Now, what are some differences you've noticed between, say, the European area 
into, say, the United States for those that have not, say, left the country or are curious to leave the country? Thank you for asking. That's a good question. I think I often am asked, what is your favorite place? And yeah, there are some places which we come back to and so on, but I, I see every place as a different and with different beautiful qualities. So this is how I look at the United States and Europe. Each of it has its own charms and, and beautiful attributes. There is no, for me, better or worse. It's just different, and, it, and the beauty it is in that difference. In Europe, I would say there is a longer cultural heritage, like if you look at the museums, if you look at the institutions and so on, there, there is more like history. In U.S., there is so much wonderful mobility, like people can change so many times profession move from one part of the country to another, and there is a sense of wonderful freedom in making all of these choices. So I loved living in Europe. I love living here, and I think that is actually the beauty of our world, these differences which make it so special, actually. And it has, over the last hundred years, the, the means of travel has become more open mm -hmm. as well, instead of it being, you may be on a ship for months to come across, to now it's days and flights you can be able to Right now, I could make a click of a button and be down at Hartsville, Jackson Airport, and be across in some other country in the matter of hours as well. And that's trains, automobiles have advanced so far as well, which opens up a vast world. Now, how many countries have you visited? Oh, boy. I, I counted last time 62, but it has been a few more. So it's over 60, probably a little bit less than 70. And I still hope to see as much as I can. Every day, there's more and more joy that a country can be able to provide, and you may not see it yet. Of and An art piece may drag you that direction, or a book you may read may open up that door for you to be able to make that a new destination. That is so true. This is exactly how it goes with me. I used to travel, obviously, with my parents and so on, but now I would see a baobab tree in Madagascar, and I immediately put it to my bucket list. So uh, it is exactly like that. Something inspires me, and, and then I just try to make it happen. Now, what languages do you speak? I believe the last episode you mentioned of it, but that's give some refresher. Okay. I am, I would say, trilingual. Uh, I'm bilingual in English, Finnish, and Serbian. As well, I speak some conversational French, a little bit of Spanish, and a little bit of Italian. Does that also come into for reading as well? Reading Finnish, English, and Serbian. So I can read and write in those. Now, do you think not being able to speak the language should hinder you from visiting different locations? Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. And the reason is... I have been, for example, in Brazil, where it's Portuguese, and I don't speak, obviously, any Portuguese, but oftentimes we find, as the world, as you said, it's on the, literally on a click, you know, like you can be somewhere else, that the people speak some basic English, and we are fortunate to live in a country where our mother language is actually wide spoken, so it makes it easier to travel for our American listeners. I think that a lot of times, actually, you have the most amazing experiences if you're just open-minded. And the language, yes, it could be a barrier to some, but in such a modern times and with all this technology we have, we can always find a way to communicate. There is, there is absolutely no reason not to travel if the language is the only barrier. I went to Egypt a long time ago and traveled to see the Sacra Pyramids on my last day there. And somehow we misread the map completely and ended up like in a desert. And then with some mule, we ended up in some small cafe. I mean, it's literally nothing there. 
The owner didn't know how to speak English. We didn't know how to speak Arabic. But he invited his cousin to come from the work and help us out to see how they can help us. And that became absolutely the most amazing experience we had in Egypt. You know, they personally took us to a tour, arranged everything, make us homemade meal, made sure that we came to hotel and without communicating. So if you think like sometimes, yeah, youth can be interesting and we, we become really brave with it. But on other sense, like it was such a unique cultural experience without language, but with open heart and all the tools we could have in that moment, that cousin who was speaking a little bit of French, it gave me the unforgettable day in Egypt. So I'm open-minded, but I, of course I urge the caution and to, to have a common sense, but this, this was one of the most beautiful experiences I had without language. Now, what would you say is with body language and facial expressions and all, what would be for you a recommendation for someone to be able to learn how to be more cautionary? Yes, yeah, so obviously, you know, I think that we have the instinct and we should always listen, like our body is telling us about situational awareness. But as said, with a lot of technology, for example, when I was in Japan, you could at the airport get a portable device, actually, which acts as your plugging for internet, you know. Like. Oh, cool. Oh, so that's like a hotspot. Really cool. You know, it like was that. kind of like a hotspot, but it's a physical device, you know, okay. like, so, so you get that, like, because, you know, in Japan, English is not widely spoken, obviously the characters we cannot read. So it was very helpful because, you know, like I had it in my purse and I could always Google and get like all the information and Google translate. And so, so it was absolutely easy. So there, there are a lot of ways how you can kind of compensate for the language. I always recommend, it was always helpful for me to have the phone and ability, you know, like that hotspot, like either in cafes, but like in Japan, they went even a step further that you could get, you know, like the physical device, which acted as your internet, you know, like connection. So this was, this made trip like, like a breeze with all these language barriers, alphabet ba barriers, kanji character barriers, you know, so it was a breeze. And it's interesting to see how like Google and other technologies are starting to advance to, I know there's some earpieces that people are able to hear a translation that depending upon. Yeah. Google Translate has it. Yes. Yeah. And mm -hmm. then also I know that they've got where you can physically hold your device out say it out loud, kind of with Google Translate, and you can flip it around. If they have a phone, you can basically connect together at the same time, and it'll do a conversation back and forth with you as well, which technology is really changing that gap. It provides also possibility for more travel if some people consider language a barrier. Being able to tear down these walls is a very important thing because our comfort zones of getting out of our comfort zone, as you mentioned last time, is a key to being able to explore and learn more about ourselves. So true. Why should someone travel? I think it's essential, not just for the joy of travel, but I think we broaden our horizons. And through all these travels to so many different cultures and different continents, I haven't been only in Antarctica, but I have been in all the rest. You realize interesting things that we are also quite more similar than you would ever think because in our needs and wants, we want the same, you know, like roof over our head, like we want to have means to take care about us and our families and so on. So, so this is, this is very universal. And so th that is very comforting and nice. On other sense, all these differences are fascinating. And I think that we can learn a lot from other cultures and use it as a, our personal space for growth. I know on your site, when I was reading through one of the words that stuck out to me or phrases was travel is the university of life. Like, I love that phrase that you used because it really started to branch out that ideology for me. And I have a tendency of 
speaking way too long and whenever I could get to the point. And I think that got to the point so quickly with me as I was reading through your articles as posts, as a lot of them do, like it's very concise, very to the point. Yes, because I feel like that a lot of misunderstandings, if you look at like politically, come because people don't really understand why is this happening? What does this mean? And through the travel, when you see all these differences, you realize again, it's not better or worse. Obviously, there is something always to be learned. And I feel like that in the most humbling places, I got like the biggest life lessons. One example I would like to bring it's from my trip to Cambodia, the country I love dearly and specifically because of its people. They are not very wealthy country and they went through very, very difficult part in the history for the genocide, but the people have kept their heart and dignity. So when I was there, I was buying a lot of little souvenirs for family and friends. And there was one little girl who was offering some beautiful silk scarves. And I said, sorry, I don't need any. And I wanted to give her $1 instead, because that was the value of the scarf, one or $2 as a gift. She didn't want to take it. And to me, imagine that child in a country with a very difficult financial situation and economy had so much dignity not to, to take that money. And she, she would give me a little gift and then accept something. So she gave me some Christmas ornament. So those kind of things I really respected about how the child was brought up, how you could learn like from, from the very unlikely place, you know, like because we live in a country of abundance and sometimes we take so many things for granted. And there was a child with a lot of dignity that I appreciate so much. Now, do you think as a society that we are well-traveled today? And why, why do you think that is so or not so? I think with the travel, it comes to personal preference. Some people, I think in general, people do travel, and, but they travel maybe to the destinations which makes them comfortable. So they stay only within U.S. or they just are, you know, beach, vacation travelers and so on. But then there is a different breed of traveler who really travels worldwide and, and it's really steeped in all that process and so on. And it, to me personally, it's like a hunger. I, I have to go and see more of it. And, and it's so inspirational for me to be out of element in a new place. And sometimes I take language classes in those places. Sometimes I just follow, you know, like the con different conversations and see the places. Sometimes I make detailed plan what I would like to see. The more I traveled, I just follow some instinct, you know, like what I would like to experience in the place. And it comes to the people, culture, conversations, immersing in their food, customs, and of course, always some art. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's, that's very descriptive of showing like what draws you to a location. Now, whenever you're doing this, how can you travel on different budgets? Because everybody has a little bit of different money that they can be able to luxurious. And some people are backpackers that are living on a shoestring budget. You know, that's, that's excellent question. Because one of the gifts of traveling is, besides seeing all these marvelous places and learning about them, it's meeting fellow travelers and having different discussions with them. So as I traveled like in 2019 throughout Asia and Australia, I met people from all the walks of life. Personally, since I'm drawn to design and architecture, usually I try to stay in the places which have some architectural merit or 
even Airbnbs I like because, you know, like you're having a really local experience and many places are in the neighborhoods that you really feel like you're living there. But back to the question of the budget, I met people who are on their first job or straight out from college and they get their savings and decide to travel for a year. Or I meet the people who are in retirement age and decide, for example, one Swiss guy to live 11 months in the Asia and then one month in Switzerland. And he distributes it between Cambodia, Vietnam, and then a couple of other places in Asia. And then everybody falls like in between, like either you take some sabbatical or either you just travel for a week or two of vacation as much as your company and circumstances allow you. But what I learned, it's where there is a will, there is a way. Yes. Because for every kind of traveler and budget, there is the, uh, like the place where you can stay, a place where you can eat and so on. And I was really impressed with the very young travelers who worked, as I said, for a couple of years were in their mid-twenties and just decided, you know, to invest the year of their life deliberately for a travel. And I, in that age, I was not brave enough, honestly, to, to make this kind of decisions. But it's actually fascinating to see it. And when you can see, it's very easy when once when you make a decision to stick to it and make it happen. And that's definitely a thing of making that choice to and staying dedicated to that choice. As you go on, that's a very important because there's going to be good days and there's going to be bad days, but if you stick to it, it will better you. And also the economic level of the country dictates it also, because if you go, for example, to Australia, that was very, very expensive country to visit. So, so for that kind of country, you would need to have some considerations. But I traveled extensively over the, all around the Asia, and I will give you just one example. I traveled from Singapore to Malaysia, and the flight was something like $25 flight. Oh, wow. So, so you have like the countries which are so affordable that you can really experience them and so on. So uh, like, that's what I say. Like if, if your budget is like in a certain amount, you know, like you might be willing to explore some places where you, th those kind of budgets can allow a lot of interesting experiences and so on. I like to mix and match because I'm curious about many places and so on, but with the travel, I would encourage, you know, like whatever you dream of, do it. It's, it's so rewarding. So with traveling, is it the space that makes a place or is it the people that make the place worth traveling to? For me personally, it's the people because I had so many positive experiences in a hospitality across the world, you know, from Latin America, Africa, Europe, Asia, Australia. And I feel like that with each culture, it comes also all the elements of that culture. You, you try different foods, you know, like you experience different art events, which are very immersed in the local culture. But even with that frame, you see so many amazing contemporary art that is in some sense kind of universal language. So um, people first. Then ar architecture, like then there comes the space because all these different ways how we build even the very ordinary bu buildings. And I also like seeing quite much countryside, the villages, because from my travels, I realize also that a lot of cosmopolitan cities and capitals, after a while, and especially in the developer world, they look alike very much, you know. But when you go to really basic level of just like and see the villages and how the countryside lived, I think that that becomes very a fascinating place to see. Now, there is different types of locations as 
you were talking about being into the cities and being into the capitals. Now, what for you makes choosing going to the tourist location, going off the beaten path, or going into these like war-torn countries and seeing how people kind of interact with these spaces? You know, that is interesting how once when I choose the space and place, it is always based on something that particularly interests me in there. But the, the best part, it comes that in my last 10, 15 years of the travel, I actually let the journey to unveil. I have some kind of idea of what I would like to see. And I know the tourist places, when we see them, are almost the sensation of seeing them, like Eiffel Tower or Machu Picchu. It is, you have the sensation, I have already seen this, you know, like so, so because, you know, we have seen always those photos, so there is not a sense of discovery. So for me personally, it's always more interesting to see something that is a little bit of beaten path, but still kind of very unique to that country. And how do you locate and get into some of these locations? Because you mentioned at one point that there is time of the year that you have two hours in this space. Like I believe it was in Japan you had mentioned, or was it Myanmar that certain parts of the year that they would give you access to it and you had to get on like a wait list. How do you come across these? Well, actually, my trip to Cuba, it's very interesting. I have been there a few years ago. And at the time, the internet was not easily available. And all the places I went to visit and were recommended by fellow travelers. So you meet somebody and you wanted to learn about the people and their culture and so on. So this was very interesting way because there were no like ratings. There were no, because of the internet, you know, like you were kind of cut off, like this kind of different experience. But actually the trip was so marvelous because so many times everything was much better and more unique than I expected because of these kind of personal recommendations from the people. And obviously you ask from the people who have the same interests and with whom you can nicely conversate and have interesting conversation. So, so this is how I discovered some amazing places just by personal recommendation or the, by the recommendations from the locals. And one even more funnier thing, because I started to do just, I visit the hair salon. It started by necessity at, at one of my trips because I ran out of the water. So I went to local hair salon. And this is for the women, the place where women kind of gather, share stories. And so you can see, you know, like, how it would be if you live in that place. You have this really interesting cultural element because there are all these women talking and sometimes with their kids and so on. And then I can ask, hey, which restaurant would you recommend? So it would be really very local, local flair to experience the city. So even that became a place of recommendations for me that I would explore and, and find some incredible places. So whenever there's not those recommendations out there because the internet was still very new, and also whenever you're now in modern day trying to filter through these, how do you identify like the comfortable and uncomfortable about a space so you can be able to filter through correctly to be safe as a traveler? Well, luckily we live in the age of a lot of reviews. So for example, when I went to Qatar to see Richard Serra's magnificent work, which is called East, West, West, East, which is situated in the midst of the desert, that trip you cannot make on your own because there is no roads or map or anything to get there. So you kind of need to have a trained guide who can read the desert that you can see the art piece. So I would read the reviews and check the company 
which provides those trips, you know, like go, go accordingly. So I would highly recommend, you know, like companies like TripAdvisor or other ones, you know, like local on a local level where, where you can see the reviews. So that, that has been very helpful for me to decide about the places. But if the place is like an urban area and you kind of want to see a certain kind of gallery, which is recommended in the midst of the city, you know, like I just go and, and go and see it, you know. So from transitioning from the place... I'm going to ask is to architecture. Is architectural living? For me, ar- architecture, it's very important because like the space, it's so relevant to me how it makes me feel. And when I'm traveling, obviously, like with so many museums, there is a lot of investment. So they are hiring top level architects to and museums itself, they become the destinations. But I'm also like interested in architecture of the city. There are so many places, like, for example, in Helsinki, where there are city ordinances, you know, like that you cannot build over the certain kind of floor, or a lot of Japan, to my surprise, was built under the ground. There is whole cities, literally, and establishments and shops and restaurants, three, four, five, six, seven layers below the ground because of the earthquakes. Like, because I somehow was always thinking, like, Tokyo will be like Hong Kong. Hong Kong is such a vertical city it goes to the (laughs) heights and it's so exciting and and it's it's fascinating visually but tokyo was much more developing ground which was fascinating also to explore you know that's i never thought about that or never heard that so that's really cool to Mm -hmm. open up that mindset because i traveled up to toronto and i didn't realize there was a whole underground to connect between different areas because of how cold it gets yes, during the yes. winter. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense that you have to adapt to your environment in order to protect the citizens, but also be able to still keep your economy and stuff going as well. So that's really fascinating to speak of Japan, a lot mm-hmm. of them, Tokyo, having a lot of that underground. Now, can you pinpoint maybe a time or experience where it created your interest in architecture? Well, with architecture, it was kind of gradual. You know, living in Europe for most of my childhood, we were so surrounded by the history and historic buildings and and so on. But when I started discovering contemporary architects and modern design as, you know, modern dance and everything contemporary, that really got my heart racing because this is the time we live in and architecture became the passion. As mentioned, I went to Japan just to see one building from the architect Tada Ando that I love, which was made just from the concrete it was very minimalistic, but extremely beautiful piece of architecture that gives you a sense of calm and peace and so on. So I believe, you know, like it was always present, but it became very deliberate with the travel and more I was traveling and getting into the architecture. I started to really look which kind of buildings would be interesting to see and experience in the person and kind of arrange trip according to that. <laughs> In the last two years, going through this pandemic, pre and post pandemic, in the middle of it, how do you think that has changed travel? With the pandemic and being forced not to travel due to the obviously safety and that we don't spread COVID, I was very sad, obviously, for what was happening to our planet and communities that we were going through a very difficult period in our lives. And I miss traveling a lot. I'm still not on a full-fledged travel 
as I used to be, but I think it created even stronger appetite from people to travel after spending so much time in home. I believe that what we are going to see in upcoming years, it's, it's even more travel, that, that people simply are rethinking their life, the space they live in. A lot of remodeling was happening with a lot of my friends and family because we wanted to make livable spaces more pleasant and so on. Yeah, and I know myself as well, you have that time as well to think, research, and read to boost up your curiosity to wanting to travel to these new spaces. And whenever you mention community, why do you think it is important to share space with someone? If I can just go a little bit back to add to your previous question, as you said, during the pandemic, we were mostly spending time in our spaces and our homes. That is the time actually where interesting thing happened with the Zest and Curiosity that in February of 2020, the blog literally went from couple of hundred of people to 5,000, and it's now over 100,000 annual visitors. So I think that people also started to travel through the blog and also to read more about these experiences and watch more these experiences and so on. So I think it's very imp important to know that it became also quantifiable, like because I could see it by, by the web visitors' interest in travel also, but if we cannot travel physically, we can travel mentally and learn about the other places. And sharing the space with other people, like, I think it's always marvelous to, like, when, whenever we are in a different culture, to try to really interact with the community and be it like their temple where, where they worship, restaurants where, where they eat, you know, like, and we eat, like, not in a tourist hotspots, but we try to, to have that also local experience. So I think the sharing space, it's not just the physical space where we live. It can be sharing the museum experience in the museum space. It can be all other space. So I think that that is what makes it very unique and valuable. Now in life, we only have one life to mm -hmm. be able to go through. Do you think one life is enough to surround yourself and truly see the world? <laughs> I often say that one lifetime is not enough for me. And, and to each its own. I believe there's some people really like uh, more stationary life and it, this, this knowing where they are and surroundings, it's, it's calming. But to the other end of spectrum where I come, for me, I'm so endlessly curious that, that I don't know like if I have enough time to see everything what I want, but at least I'm trying. <laughs> As we change throughout our lives of being a child to becoming a teenager into adulthood, and as we increase in life, what are some changes that you've noticed about yourself over the years with your travel? Well, the first one obviously started my, in my early years as a child, like uh, my parents chose the destinations and so on. Another stage where I was choosing the places to go and planning them meticulously and so on. But I think more you travel, like you just simplify, like and so on. And now I could, for example, even purchase ticket to Hong Kong and just go and without any plan and figure it out on the fly. It became more free and, and it, it varies. Like it goes, obviously there are some things that you need to see in a certain kind of places because they're either landmarks or, or something that you cannot miss. But I feel that I'm just more free and I don't have a list of the things anymore, what I would like to see, but I just let a lot of things happen naturally. That's a very good point to be able to think of because if I know that continually we're changing, we're growing, and we can whenever, as they say, the wise man, as he ages, 
if he passes on his knowledge to the next person, maybe that they won't make the same mistakes or that you can be able to not make the same mistakes yourself as you did when you were younger because of the experiences that you had done before. And that's amazing to hear you speak on those different aspects of life as you continue to kind of grow. Yeah, that was for me personally like this, but people have different styles and ways, you know, they like to live their life or travel per se. And I think it's that that's also beautiful because there is something for everyone and so on. But I feel like more I traveled, more open-minded, I became more curious, I became, I think you develop a lot of empathy and understanding. And also geopolitically, you understand the history and how that all impacts all of us, you know, like so. So it, it has been really university of life. <laughs> now, what would you recommend to that new traveler with your knowledge that you have to pass down? To go within its own comfort zone. And there is so many ways, like either you can uh, organize trips yourself or join the different groups. There is groups by different topics. There is groups for different budgets. So find what's comfortable for you and, and what interests you and just go for it. Now, I know you said that you, you don't have the long list of that you're wanting to do X, Y, and Z to it, but do you have the next place that you're wanting to travel to in your mind? Well, actually, I do have also very long list. It's and that list actually, it's developed again based on the conversations with the fellow travelers who told me about some amazing place or the, some picture I have seen, or even in a movie like I, I see thing incredible. This is how I fell in love with Hong Kong because of Wong Kar Wai's movies. He's like incredibly talented filmmaker with poetic films, with amazing cinematography. So that this was one of the reasons which Hong Kong was very interesting to me. So back to your question, as I said, it's not a simple one. There is a long list, but one place I'm particularly drawn now is uh, Namibia in Africa. I enjoyed being in South Africa and seeing the animals in the wild, in their natural habitat, and that was once-in-a-lifetime experience. Namibia has the sand dunes, which are kind of golden color. It's a very unique kind of sand. And they, they have a skeleton coast where you can find a lot of ship wreckages from 100, 200 years ago. Oh, and wow. to me, it's fascinating that you can go and see all of this. I, I mean, it's how, how incredible is that, you know, like to, to see something from 200 years ago and see, and I think it will be fascinating place to me to photograph as well. I became passionate about photography. I think that will need to wait for a little while because of post-pandemic or pandemic situation, depending on the place where we are. Italy, it's always easy choice for me, and I would like to go to the different part, probably south of Italy, like in Sicily. There is a volcano, Etna there, so, so it will be interesting to see countryside as well, a few cities there. Now, as we're winding down here in the last couple of minutes, is there anything that you would like to discuss or words of wisdoms that you would kind of like to leave us with today? Yes, I feel like with the travel, no matter in which scale you do it, first, it can be a wonderful way to relax. And even if it's that kind of style that you love, just relaxing, or if you go a little bit to more adventure and go across the oceans and in new places, open your hearts, open your mind, um, enjoy this moment, because I feel this planet where we live in and with this limited time we are given, there is so much to discover. Enjoy the journey. Indeed, the journey is such a beautiful thing and it may be short, it may be long, but it's soaking every moment, that's for sure. 
I like that you uh, summarize it like that because, you know, with the travel, the interesting part, it is that the travel journey starts from the moment when you conceive it. You're already on the road, you know, like you're already planning it. You're already in that space, you know. And I find that also beautiful part because you're already imagining, you're already being excited. And then when you come to the final destination, there is this joy and sense of discovery and actualization, which is marvelous. Whenever you go to a place, I always like to say, if you can spend as much time in a location, the better you'll be able to absorb it. There was a aha moment for me when I was traveling one time. It was out at the Glacier Bay in Iceland, where I sat down and we were only there for about 20 minutes or 30 minutes because the sun was going down. But at that moment, I had that, I felt like I was at the end of the world or I, I could, as some people say, I felt at that moment I could have left this world because it was just so imaginative and beautiful to me, have you ever experienced one of those moments? I know I said we were wrapping up to the ends, but I forgot I needed mm -hmm. to ask this question. Oh my gosh, so many times in the temples of Angkor Wat in Cambodia. Uh, that was something so spectacular to see the older civilizations in the pyramids of Giza, in a Machu Picchu, contemporary marvels of Sydney Opera House. I mean, it's such an iconic building and you would sit you know, like on a commuter boat and pass by it. And, and I was thinking, oh my God, I cannot imagine that the people are seeing this on a way from home to work every day of their life, you know. So, so there is so many marvels like that, that they're uh, seeing elephants and giraffes, like with a couple of yards away from you. It was magnificent, like, and, and seeing them in their natural habitat, seeing Louvre, seeing, as you said, Iceland, which has such a, fascinating structure that I almost felt that I, la that I landed on the moon because of the lack of the trees. Every place, every place, my breath away in a different way. It's too many to count. Yeah, that's, that's so mm -hmm. true. And I love that you had mentioned whenever I like, travel, like, you find it so honoring that, wow, these people get to pass by the Sydney Opera House or this every single day. And from our aspect, when we see it, we're like, oh my gosh, this is breathtaking. Mm -hmm. This is so real. Like, oh, that's normal. We see this every day. It's, it becomes natural to you. At that point, I remember doing a hike in County Kerry, Ireland called Cutman Dubber, which means well on the hill. And I remember walking up there and getting to the top and the person I'm hiking with is like, okay, you know, there's a sheep passing us by one moment here. Or, oh no, you need to make sure you step over that. And because there's frog eggs there. And I'm like, this is amazing. This is so beautiful. And like, uh, you know, like, it's just, this is the 18th time I've hiked this. This is normal. And I remember getting up to the top and it was cloudy and it was just, it was wet. And my friend with me that was not, he was like, this is, this is rough. I don't like this, that it's, the weather's about to kind of like change in a negative way. In the moment, the clouds parted and I was able to see for miles and miles and miles away. And it was breathtaking to the both of us because even though he had been there it was something i had not seen personally himself in that way and it, you may see something a thousand times or you may see it five times but you never know how it's going to excite you or how it's going to change for you each time you look at it and that's also fascinating about traveling to me so true you know like everything it's unrepeatable but you can have in a familiar place completely new experience yes yeah. it's so so fascinating and that's what's also so cool about reading through your blog is it opens up my mind to wanting to go to these more different places or to put that on my list of something to consider the next time around on it. And being, I've limited my time with traveling, but 
can still make things happen. And like, so I'm still very young. And you know what was the joy, like in a blog, for example, and connecting with lo local communities? I traveled to Philippines and I was there only just for four days and loved the place. So when I posted it on Facebook as a story, somehow it got shared by Filipino community. I would say that I have like tens of thousands, no, no, yeah, tens of thousands of visitors from Philippines because the, the, the story got locally shared and people were appreciating that I appreciate their country. So, so that, that was, that was amazing for me how honored they were. And I was honored to be a guest in their country. Oh, yes. So, so, so there are all these lovely stories how Cambodia was the same, like, like the, the post went viral that even my guide from Cambodia got it, you know, like the blog from somebody completely unrelated to, to, and he recognized me, you know, like, and so, so that, that was very interesting how local communities also appreciate being part of this and I really honor them as well like and that's a that's a huge huge gift to the world and it's amazing the grassroots movement and that's my biggest thing I think of marketing is right now is getting that word of mouth getting that grass that grass movement and so when that that to me is bigger than seeing a billboard if I can be able to True. personally connect to it or see that True. that person has enjoyed it that person has loved it now how can someone be able to interact with you through your website, like social media? I know you have mentioned that you have Instagram and that you've mentioned that you have Facebook. How can we be able to find you on these? What are your handles? I think that the best would be for the curious listeners to check the blog, which it's Zest and Curiosity, and it's on zestandcuriosity.com. There are a lot of marvelous stories, photographers, contributors for whom I'm very grateful for. And on Instagram, I'm on the same handle, Zest and Curiosity, and on Facebook, uh, Zest and Curiosity as well. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Kate, for having me. It has been an honor, especially to get to do this as two parts, because of, I could only imagine this could have been probably three hours long if we <laughs> sat in this and continuously kind of powered on. And getting a pause, too, in order to rethink our thoughts and regather where we were at, I think is a good thing as, as two between listeners and ourselves is we need that time, that space. It could be silence or it could be discussion before going to our next project or next thing. So I feel honored that you were able to spend your time and we do this episode too, separating it out. Now, as those listeners that are coming in new and want to be able to reach out to me as well, I am on Facebook under Learning From Friends. And you could also find me on Twitter with Learning from Friends podcast. They can be able, to, and if you want to reach out to me over email, it is Cade, which is spelled C A D E, at learningfromfriends.com. And as we wrap up here today, share with friends, share with your dog, your cat, you know, everybody around you to be able to spread this lovely joy of conversation. And don't forget, most of all, to let your curiosity fly high. My name is Cade Curtis from Learning from Friends. Have a wonderful day. Yeah.